Hello. Finally got me. The germs finally got me. No. No. Mm-hmm. <gasps> finally got a cold. How far in are you? No, I think I think I might be able to g- graze this one and just do the the runny stuffy nose mm-hmm. like mild fever phase and just jump right out of it. Is that possible? Can I skip whoa, the other? Whoa, fever! Phases? You got fever? Yeah, mild. I don't know. I just my head feels a little warm and take my temperature. Hmm. Ah, dag on it. Uh, I I got a new. Oh God, I got so much going on. Uh, I'm really sorry. You're not feeling well. That sucks. This thing has been a slow motion drag for me. I hope yours goes yeah. faster. I mean, it's that time of year. Like, I've been yeah. lucky this past few winters that I've basically not been sick. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, if I, this is the worst. If I just get a cold and I don't lose my voice and I don't do the obligatory one-week post-cold coughing thing, I'll be happy. Mm-hmm. You got a mute switch you like? I don't have a switch. I've got, I've got software is what I've got. <laughs> I got a new switch. It's a killer switch. Mm-hmm. By the way, many thanks to Jim Metzendorf for for really bringing up the gain on my coughs last uh, mm-hmm. episode. Mm-hmm. Was that was that at your direction, um, John? It was during the program. Part of the part direction. of the MPU discussions that I asked you not to have about me. <laughs> no, no, I mean, on mm-hmm. the, on the actual podcast, which I know you don't listen to. Uh, I love our show. I, I asked for it. Okay, um, I got the. I did get a new one, and it's real good. Mm. You want you want a demo? You ready? Yeah, let me. Let's <clears throat> <clears throat> Pretty good. Pretty, is, it, is it pretty pretty good? Yeah, yeah. Is it a digital thing on your computer? Or nope, is nope, it a... nope, nope, nope. It's like a rat pedal. It's a. Uh, I think it's a full cut. I don't understand why the rolls doesn't cut all the way out. Mm. That's so weird to so, me. But is it actually a pedal? Yeah, it's like a rat. You know what a rat pedal is? You know what? The, or like a stomp box for a guitar? Yeah, I know about guitar pedals. All right, oh, it, Jesus like, Christ. Like physically, like, is it on the floor? It is on the floor. I'm mm. using it, and it's made by the people who make rat pedals. It's a little more chunk of chunk than I'd like, but it's a very effective medium. Oh, I didn't hear the chunk of chunk, so that's good. Yeah, well, I did a little bit of, uh, you know, ad hoc testing. Mm-hmm. Oh man, well, uh, we're back. I'm sorry you're sick. Oh, it sucks. It yeah. Sucks. John, yeah. I made so many poor decisions today. Oh my. Really? God. Oh my God, you like my poor decision stories, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, okay. All right, I'm, I'm, I should not comment. Continue. No, no. Just, I'm out of sorts. Like, I got a new mic stand. That's working great. I got the stomp box. That's working great. I rearranged mm-hmm. a lot of my dolls. I got some liners for my shelves, and I got a Action lot of dolls. figures, please. My toys and my dolls are set up. They're, Real they're, pretty. They're figures of action. Figures of action. <laughs> Capture that. Lies did not become us. I in... Figures of action. I installed my new, um, my new Phoenix, my new Jean Grey, my latest one. Mm-hmm. Installed. Well, how does the, what is the installation procedure? That's a very good like? question. Well, first of all, I've been beating my head against the wall for the longest time because, as I think I've mentioned to you before, I'm a big fan of those wire shelves whose name brand I always forget. You have one. I have one. Everybody's got them. The big, the big like kitchen shelf. Yes. Wire. Yep. Super okay. sturdy. And for the longest time, it's been like, ah, eh, there's so much stuff I can't put up here because you know they're wire shelves. And then I finally. It took a moment to look, and you can buy little plastic liners that you sure fit can. perfectly. Mm-hmm. That's what we've got. So I bought some heavy-duty ones and some lighter-duty ones. And uh, so, yeah, now I'm putting some of my dolls up. I just put all my stationery on one. Not all of it, but part of my stationery collection. And then I'm putting up some of my dolls. And for those, though, I'm putting some fun tack on their feet. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the installation procedure. That's part of the installation. I'm still working it out, though, because... 
But part of it is, if I may say a little bit of preparing the way, you got to really think it through, like, what's this going to look like? I could send you my stationary shelf. It's pretty exciting. Sing us a little uh, chorus of Merlin Wants a Doll. <laughs> when my friend Merlin was five years old, he wanted a semi-pornographic little doll. Um, I'm going to send this to you. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I've made a lot of poor decisions, though. I uh, So I didn't eat all day which is always bad. Yeah, that's I, not good. I did get a half hour nap. And I thought, this okay. is great. I'm going to, this is awesome. I'm going to nail this. I'm going to exactly nail the landing on this. I'm going to uh, say goodbye to my family. I'm going to go. Uh, I'm actually kind of hungry for once. It's not just pure desperation. I'm kind of hungry for KFC. So I haven't eaten all day. I'll get some KFC, jet to the office. Mm. I'll still have time mm. to do, I'll probably a little more preparing the way. I'll be able to review the notes and see what you snuck in. And, uh, and so, so uh, bad decision zero, I didn't eat all day. I, I bolted out of the house. I got on my Segway. I rode to the, uh, the KFC looking pretty cool. Let's be honest. And I got there and there's a really long line and like one person at the cash register. So here's me. <sighs> but you know, I was already kind of pot committed to it and I kind of wanted KFC. So I waited <laughs> and then I got, I got my KFC. Paulette got me my KFC. Oh, that's my longtime server at uh, KFC. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I'm like, all right, fine. <laughs> got to hurry. It's, 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 uh, it's 6.05. I got a bolt. And so I go back to the office and I forgot my keys. So I had to go back home with my KFC <laughs> on the Segway, looking, let's be honest, pretty cool. And I had to get bang, 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 bang on the door, get my keys, come back. And then I had to eat my KFC very quickly. So this just got young people. This just goes to show you how bad decisions can have a compound effect, much like interest used to be. So I ate three pieces of chicken in like 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. You got that. You got the, the fast food cravings. That's a, that's a tough, that's a tough thing to still be dealing with. Oh, well, I don't do it too much. I've got a. <laughs> do really? Huh? You don't do it too much? I don't do, I go, I go to a KFC or Taco Bell. Uh, just, any, just fast food in general. You seem to eat a lot of it for a grown man. What the hell are you talking about? I get a lot of costly delivery, but it's not yeah, fast food. I'm not accounting that. Well, I mean, there's literally not, don't be creepy, but there's literally one fast food-ish chain place anywhere near where we are, and that's our KFC Taco Bell. Mm-hmm. It's a hybrid. Do you ever get the Taco <laughs> Bell there? Yes. That's a real test. Oh, yes. my goodness. <gasps> that's, oh, a pretty, that's a pretty good taco. <sighs> taco Bell used to be a treat. People don't remember this. Taco Bell used to be a treat. <laughs> taco Bell was the place that was open really late when your high school student and every place else is yep. closed. That's, yep, yep, yep. Or Denny's. You can go to Denny's and smoke. Yeah, we didn't have that. We didn't have many Denny's. We had we had diners, but huh. they closed at like twelve thirty. But then the Taco Bell was open late. Just Sambos. Sambos? No, hmm. I'm not familiar with that. Um. So anyway, the dolls are. I think I, I don't know if the photo went through. You can see my shelf I'm working on. No, I can see it. I, I I would love to know what happened to the wall behind your shelves there. It used to be a, a retail place. Don't be creepy. Mm-hmm. Oh, you got, oh, you're talking about where it's a little bit brushed up and bruised. Uh, it's like uh, someone fired a, a shotgun full of pepper at your wall. Yes. No. 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 It's this it's is rubbed off paint. It's retail abrasion. Mm. It's just uh kind of the process of when you're 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 with the used public. To be retail. No. God, you made me admit the fluff and fold, and now you've got me revealing KFC. Oh, God. I, you, you offered the KFC. I, well, your I plastic is looking nothing. pretty sharp there, though. I like, the, I like the plastic. The what? The plastic on the shelves. Oh, the liner. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. cool. It's pretty I'm cool. I'm not sure I approve of the, your, your uh, repurposing of all those cardboard boxes as your No, I think that's holders. a great use of cardboard boxes. What mm, would you put your no. unused field notes in? 
I mean, those are those are just they're just dying for the recycle bin. Is what I mean. Those Amazon boxes no. are going to right. These at the are good. These bin. are good boxes. I love. You a need good a couple box. of a couple of bookends. Is what you need? Mm. Horsehead bookends. You can mm-hmm. see I'm a little I'm a little overstocked on uh, the the Moleskine notebooks. But I'm mm-hmm. a fan. Yeah, step mint, uh, mint in box mib at mib. Those are mib. I've got you're in a mib. good mood for somebody who's ill. I've got the, uh, uh, Studio, Neat. The I got Studio yeah. Neat notebooks. I got uh, Write in the Rain. You ever seen a Write in the Rain notebook? R-I-T-E? No. It's for writing in the rain. It's, it's what they call a Scottish pun. And then, uh, so those are all good. I'll, I'll get a picture of Jean Grey for you later. She's uh, very flamey. So anyway, that's all good. But I, you know what? All things considered, your illness aside, all of, our, all of our personal problems aside, I feel good about the episode and I'm glad to be here. Mm. Um, boy, I cannot believe you. Oh my God. This is why I should look at the doc sooner. I watched a TV show for you last night. And then you moved it down. Are we going to talk? We're we're not going to talk about cheer, probably. You're you're muted, aren't you? Are you muted? John? Oh, no. John? Oh, God. Did I lose him? No, this is ah. part of my sickness uh, is manifesting as I'm oh. sitting here talking for 10 minutes, uh, wondering why you're not responding to me. It's because I'm muted. Oh, it's because of the muting. Yeah, see, if I unmute, then you can hear me. With my, with, my, uh, with my cans. What I was going to say was, I did not move anything uh, down in the dock, but before we get to that topic, I would like to ask you Ugh. very briefly uh. if you happen to have watched a movie called Millennium Actress. Oh my God! John, oh, last night I had time to watch mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and you can just say no. We can just move on. It's just that you. Just, you but I, I object to the form. I object to the form of your question. The, the form of the question in the form of a question. No, I do that. What is, what is Millennium Actress? You, you, okay. You know, this is the problem. People can't see the doc, and they can't see these horrible things you do. You take out all my foos. You remove my lines. You're always mm-hmm. doing things. So last week, out of nowhere, you go, meh, you got to watch this show called Cheer. You out put of nowhere, it had been, been in the notes for like a month. You put it in at the last minute. Mm-hmm. You added mm-hmm. it to my homework list. And then mm-hmm. tell the people what you did to the word cheer on the my last, homework list. The last show, during the show, I told you I bolded it. You bolded the word. You were there. I did that. You, you bolded were the word the cheer. Mm-hmm. Telling that telegraphs to me that John Syracuse, amongst all my other homework, Millennium Actress, Perfect Blue, Life is Strange, the PS4 game, pair PlayStation controller, and and watch the Netflix show Cheer. When mm-hmm. you bold the word Cheer, that tells well, me you're keep timeline. Timeline. I bolded that Cheer before you had brought up this this tantalizing promise that there may be a possibility that you would watch Millennium Actress. If you remember, you sprung that on me much later in the <sighs> I show. I thought it would After be a nice treat for you. I thought it'd be a treat. I didn't know you were going to hold it against me. Anyway, I'm just I'm just asking. It's fine if you haven't got to it. I'm I'm I nothing if not to patient. Because I watched your goddamn Netflix show last good. night. Okay, good. Let's talk about that then. No, now I'm angry, John. I'm no, getting over a be. cold. Yeah, well, I'm getting into a cold. Um, wasn't that a good Oscars? That was good Oscars, huh? Apart from the, uh, the uh, air conditioning noise. I wasn't. Uh, not into it? Didn't like the Parasite? No, I, I, bar- I was barely watching it. I was not into it. I mean, I was happy for, you know, Parasite and everything, but other than that, I was hmm. not super into it. Oh, I really enjoyed it. Oh, uh, Laura Dern. Um, 
Uh, okay, mm-hmm. so anyway, yeah, I watched, uh, uh, it was a long episode, but I watched, uh, I only had time to watch one. I watched one episode of Cheer, and I'm uh, keen to talk about it. We do have, uh, before we get to that, though, I do believe we have one item of follow-up that mm-hmm. we can address probably quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, the question, uh, follow-up. So, uh, last time we spoke, a fortnight ago, um, we spoke about, <laughs> we spoke about uh, getting Studio Ghibli movies. Nailed it. Got it in one one for daddy and uh and your homework was if you uh, chose to accept it was to do what i did go and do likewise go and buy uh some miyazaki on itunes and uh you as the expert the expert witness here would be able to give uh, further thoughts on the resolution the subs and dubs uh special features if they exist uh were you able to acquire some miyazaki from itunes sort of i got a little derailed i'm in i'm in the itunes I'm looking looking for my Ghibli's, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and at a certain point, I got into my... This is like simultaneous with our conversations about it. I was like, you know what? I should buy our friend John Roderick some uh, Miyazaki because he seemed to be receptive to it. Uh, and you told me what you got him. And I'm like, you know what? He, need, he needs more yeah. in his life. And also, part of the thing was like, oh, how do you give people bundles and stuff like that? And so I'm in there and I said, I should, I should do that now. So go, don't, don't tell uh, me. I want to. I want to guess. So before, like, give me a chance before you get to the reveal. I do want to guess what movie you got him. But continue. All right. Um, but, but did you? Were you able to? Were you able to um, replicate the you can't gift a bundle thing? Well, before I even got to that, okay. I was like, well, let me just let me just go give one movie before I look at the bundle stuff. And I could not, for the life of me, figure out how to gift someone a bundle. There I am. I'm poking around on the iTunes. I go over to my computer. I'm like, no, you can't see it on the phone. The gift thing must be somewhere else. On the phone, the secret is usually like, scroll to the bottom. Scroll, scroll, scroll. There it is. Somewhere. Well, like, and usually the arrow up. You can arrow up to wish list stuff. And normally you can arrow up to gift or at least a little, uh, you know, ribbon on a box. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't find it anywhere. I had, I had to actually search the internet like an old hmm. to try to find out how do you give someone something on iTunes. The secret... Uh, by my recollection is that it is under the share icon the box with the arrow pointing up from it like it's a square with an arrow pointing up the universal ios share icon that's where it's supposed to be that's i mean that's i didn't even occur to me to look for it there there's like a buy button there's all sorts of things and it's not there Right. Well, for bundles. But I'm just trying to remember, oh. I'm just trying to do one movie. Oh, sorry. God. And so I got so bogged down in just trying to gift somebody a single movie because mm-hmm. I, I mean, maybe I once knew where it was and forgot, but like I couldn't find it. And the thing is, there's plenty of space for it right near the buy button. The buy button on the Mac is like a pop up menu, I think, where you have options. One of the options should be buy this for somebody. Mm-hmm. But no, it's in the share icon. <laughs> so I after that, I, you know, I got him one movie, which you may now guess. Uh, and I never did get around to buying one for myself, and I never did get a bundle. I'm going to guess. I just added something to my night topics. doesn't have to be now, but please remember what I mean when I said weird Apple icons. Um, it's going right. to be about, like, this is a strange week. They just, uh, 13.4 is bringing back some of the buttons in mail. Mm-hmm. I think the use of share has gotten very confusing. I agree. And I have two different email applications that will not let me print from ios hmm. and i'd like to explore that um i'm gonna go with i don't know why i feel this because they're kind of the same movie I, I think it's either i was gonna say nausicaa but i think i'm gonna go with princess mononoke so here's the deal i had asked you originally 
Uh, what did you get, John? Tell me so I don't get the same thing. 80% sure I got him Totoro. Possibility I got him Kiki. Right. So you told me Totoro first. And then mm-hmm. later when I asked you or when you offered it again, you said, I think I might have got him Kiki. So, Pretty sure Totoro. Right. So what I went with was Merlin's first instinct is probably the right one. So I think Merlin got him Totoro, which is a good choice to get him as a first movie. But that means the second movie absolutely has to be Kiki, and that's what I got him. Mm-hmm. If he has two copies of Kiki now, oh well. I, I understand why Kiki in general. Um, we talked about it on a podcast one time. I'll try to find yep. for notes. But it's, um, it's one of my favorite why... movies. I, I think it's the type of for John okay. specifically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I why think why it's Kiki for John of, in particular? I think that that vibe of you know going by nothing. He hasn't seen these, so I have no idea he's going to hate them and or just not. They won't connect with them all, but. Going on what I know of him, I think that vibe, that kind of chill vibe where everything's happening under the surface and it's deep but also simple, mm-hmm. would resonate with him more than your more conventional action adventure Nausicaa type Princess Mononoke thing. Mm-hmm. And also Kiki's less preachy and, and John uh, rebels against that mightily. So, mm-hmm. I think... I mean, I don't, he, might just I, I don't be, dis- he might just be bored by Kiki. I don't know. Well, I, no, no, I mean, that's the thing though, is, you know, it's, it sounds crazy to say you quote unquote, forget this, but I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. Use that foot pedal. Shut up. Jim's going to fix that. God damn it. <laughs> I'm going to cry. You're going to make me cry. I'm full of chicken and I'm <laughs> sad. Um, well, that's what the KFC will do that. <sighs> just, I'm so tired now. <laughs> <laughs> you made me so tired already. Your empty belly full of fried chicken we're and you're exactly a little exactly 18 minutes in and I'm already so goddamn tired and it's mm. your fault. You did not correctly carbo load for this episode. I loaded something. You did. Loaded bad choices. Beep, mm-hmm. beep, beep. Um, People I f- forget this, but. People forget. Th- oh, you, yeah, you thank, forget thank you. this, but. Well, I mean, it's like, so, I mean, like, on the top bullets for talking about Miyazaki movies, you could talk about, you know, thematic stuff, obviously. As we've talked about ad nauseum, he has certain themes that come up a lot that we don't need to re-enumerate. But, you know, certainly one theme that has an impact, I think, on the visual style is he, um, it sounds glib to say he has concerns about the environment, but he cares a lot about the earth and maintaining the specialness of the earth and the beauty of nature. And he obviously loves forests, right? He loves oceans. He loves flying, etc. But that's that's the wild thing is like I don't want to say I forget how beautiful these movies are, but I forget how many you know that phrase I'll use twice a year. So much unnecessary beauty, where you're like you arrive and they're going to go over the bridge, you know, to where the where the house is, you know, or the, you know, in Totoro or like just in in Kiki. Just there's so many just little just just the, go- the gorgeous backgrounds where they're doing that. Um, What's that? What's that term? The, the Fleischer brothers invented where the back parallax. Moves. Yeah, parallax stuff. Um, gorgeous stuff like that. Um, but even if you're brand new to these, I think it, they're shockingly beautiful. You know, and before you even get into like the thematic stuff and you know hectoring about the environment and the robots are going to protect the island planet or whatever, um, they're just they're just extraordinarily beautiful and strange. But you know what I mean? There's just there is something very magical about these movies. You do not have to on any level be a child to appreciate these for the first or 40th time. And I'm, I just, I guess what I'm saying is I'm always struck when I return to these movies, which, which we do fairly often, I'm always just continually restruck by just how, how much unnecessary beauty is in them. There's, there's just so carefully made and there's so much attention. Like you talked about last week with the woman stooping over to pick up the thing. There's so much 
weird detail where you're like, oh, that really is how a little kid acts, or that that really is, you know, how it feels to unload a van, or whatever. <laughs> they really do capture something. Um, at once, it is so sort of whimsical and fantastical, but also so grounded in in specificity. The frog at the bus stop in Totoro is like the froggiest frog. It's so perfect. And like, yeah. So I, any of those you give to him, I, I hope he'll enjoy. Um, maybe we could have him on for a special episode to talk about it. Yeah. Plus, Kiki also has the angle of like the, the sort of pseudo European remix as seen through Japanese eyes town. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I figure having walked across Europe that and that he should be able to relate to that. And, and sort of, like I said, the chill vibe. And I think to your point about uh, the unnecessary beauty, it's one of the things that animation does so well and it's a lot harder to do in live action is because you are creating everything because you're not pointing a camera at something and lighting it and doing whatever because you are essentially like blank piece of paper make whatever you want you can come at it and start your thought process with uh you know some seeing people driving through countryside or whatever and there's a there's a feeling you want to evoke and at some point you're gonna have to ask yourself you know what is it that's beautiful about driving through the countryside. Whatever it is that occurs to you, what that is. Is it the sun shining off of the water? Is it the sound of the insects? Is it mm-hmm. how the little, you know, grass leans as you go by? Is it the contrast of the man-made stuff? In it? Whatever it is that occurs to you, whatever thing, you can emphasize that in the drawings that you make because not only do you get to choose sort of where the camera is and what the actors do and what they say and what the music and the sound is, but everything that's there is not, you know, captured as a real thing, but synthesized. And so animation lets you emphasize that in a way that you can't with real stuff because you can't make real grass do what you want. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and so it's, you know, and I don't just mean hand-drawn animation, I mean computer animation or whatever, where, where you're making everything and there's, you know, a, there is a special skill to being able to do that in a way that doesn't seem heavy-handed, but does evoke the feeling that you want because you literally have control over everything. And I think, uh, Miyazaki and the Studio Ghibli movies are just a masterful example of that because they tend to be, I'm not going to say realistic because, you know, everything is slightly cartoony or whatever, but what they choose to emphasize and how they choose to show it and animate it and, you know, everything else is so, like, it catches you by surprise. That's why you, you come back to it and you're surprised at how good it looks. It's because it seems so simple, but all the right things are emphasized to connect with people, right? Mm-hmm. To, to sort of the human experience, even though you're not from Japan and don't recognize these things, there's something sort of very humanistic about everything that they show. And a lot of great, uh, you know, anime is like that. A lot of these, a lot of the anime that I, that I'm a big fan of, like, a think of, uh, Makoto Shinkai, who does a similar thing where there's obviously images and, uh, scenes that are evocative to him. And he puts them in a lot of his movies. And despite the fact that I don't have a lot of shared experiences with, him i i find them evocative as well because i think they are somewhat universal mm-hmm. yeah it's also um again sort of going back to last week and talking about um spirited away and trying to figure out you know i can i can see with my eyes what what the what these figures are doing and you know i don't always pick up the signification of what things mean but it is interesting what they choose to make very realistic versus very fanciful what's very detailed versus what is hilariously simple and this doesn't really the movies don't benefit from too much over analysis but on the one hand you do get something like that (laughs) that horrifying (laughs) scary frog in totoro um or you know all all kinds of stuff involving animals but then you also as against stuff like the soot sprites 
in um, Totoro, uh, which look like a child's drawing. They're, they're so very, very simple. They're just some spikes with big eyes on them, mostly. Um, but putting those things alongside each other is part of what adds. Like, and again, like you said, with the, you know, the trains, the train tracks being underwater, but not much. There's all kinds of little strange decisions where you do kind of feel like you have a foot in two different worlds. Like the, the, the reality of the old ladies in the Ponyo like retirement home um, I mean, they're silly and broad, but they're also very fully painted as people you could imagine meeting. They, they each have like different personalities. So I don't know. I mean, I'm glad he sweats it like he does. I'm sorry he uh, he scribbled on that guy's nice work on the old lady. But um, but I'm glad that somebody's, somebody cares this much about how this stuff looks. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I think I was thinking about it when we were discussing it uh, last episode. Despite having watched all these documentaries about the production of things, it's still not entirely clear to me. Uh, I think also this came up because I had seen a YouTube video about uh, Joe Hisaishi, the guy who does the music for all these movies. I think I posted a link to you it did, anyway. You gave me a link. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. yeah. And and like it seems from the little bits I've seen here and there, like that how it works is, you know, Miyazaki makes the movie, storyboards it, maybe does keyframes, looks over every single drawing that contributes to the movie, you know, writes the script, puts it all together. Uh, and then... You know, there's people who are doing coloring, and I'm sure he has some influence on that as well. But then it seems like it's almost like the music and the sound effects are like handed off to somebody else. He seems so much less involved in that, which is great because you've got a talented person involved. But it's it just it's so unlike mm-hmm. the live action movie making I've seen where, yeah, someone's going to do the soundtrack, but the director is right there sort of, you know, or the editor or whatever, just sort of putting it all together. Whereas it just it almost seems like, they make the movie and then, you know, the, the drawings are done and then it's handed off to people to do voices and then it's handed off for someone to music. And it's just, when you see the finished product, you're like, it seems like this incredibly unified vision. Mm-hmm. And to think of it being produced in that weird way, I mean, maybe I'm my notion of how it's produced is totally wrong. That's not how it works at all. Because I have a limited view into this just through these documentaries, right? I, what you're describing is not, I mean, so it's not unusual, for example, like you take something as simple, not simple, you take something as understandable as comic books. And there's usually three roles in the visual. Well, there's, you know, there's the writer, there's a the person who writes it. There's usually a separate person who does pencil drawings, often another person that does the lines over the pencils. And that, that's where a lot of the look comes from is the um, ink work. And then you get somebody else who's a colorist. Now that could all be the same person. I guess that could. And then be... someone else entirely different does the cover. The most important thing on the yeah, whole which can be book. really, really deceptive. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, for sure. But um, but like mm, I want to say maybe what like Frank Miller. There are some people that are very well known for both writing and drawing. Um, Frank Miller's style was so distinctive on stuff like um, Daredevil and Elektra. But anyhow, but and that then that makes sense. Now you go and apply that to these visual media we're talking about. And I have heard the same things you do that like if you're the showrunner for this show, well, you have a role in writing, you have a role in decision making, and you are usually sitting in on editing and stuff like that. That I, everybody does that differently. But um it, it it does feel like a very unified product. Um product, piece of art. When you're watching a Miyazaki movie or a, you know, a studio Ghibli movie. It does really feel so cohesive. You don't run into a lot of stuff where you're like, wow, that's like kind of from a different thing. Yeah. And it feels inevitable. Like you see a scene with the music and the sound effects and the animation. You're yeah. like, this is just one co- cohesive whole. This could not be any other way. 
and it's so defined. The whole, the whole time you've been talking, I've had bum 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 going through my head. They were, you know, pawn your pawn. Like, like there's just like, these songs you, that get in your head. It's like why <laughs> would you even draw that scene if you didn't know that music was going to play at that point? Right. Like right, it's like the right. whole the scene is there to showcase the music, the music that as far as I'm able to understand did not exist in any form when that scene was That's so drawn. crazy. I, like maybe I'm misunderstanding how it works, but it's, it's so fascinating to me that, that whatever this process is produces this whole that is I know, you know like I said, just so inevitable. So it seems like this is how it always had to be. And every person contributing to this piece of art was like of one mind to make this thing. And that's obviously can't possibly be true. Mm-hmm. I, I know I've, I've heard uh, this is not something people love talking about publicly, but it's pretty well known chatter and whisper network that when you're working, like when you see, well, first of all, everybody knows that when you see a lot, a lot, a lot of writers on a movie, that's usually not a great sign. That usually means there's been some extensive rewrites, but whether you're doing movies or especially I think TV shows, the way they'll often break down the actual writing of the, of the uh, script is some people will write certain characters or will take certain scenes. And I, that always amazes me too, similarly. that I mean, there are times when you go, like, oh, obviously this is the person who's good at writing women. The one person on this team who's good at writing women did this. Um, but yeah, no, just, just to further buttress your point, I mean, I know that exists. And I don't know, I also, I feel like I remember hearing, I've heard this about so many shows, Simpsons, Adventure Time. Whenever you hear that quote about how many person years and effort it takes to make each episode, and you're like, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Like, you've got an episode every week. Like, yeah, but like the number of people who spent this many hours working on this in some form or fashion, like that really does pile up because there's so many different people, you know, some, somebody's doing, somebody's doing storyboards, somebody's doing keyframes, somebody's doing, you know, just all, all the way down the line. It's kind of amazing that anything can seem cohesive after having that many people on it, but the the Miyazaki movies are one of them. Yeah, I mean, and when you see the drawing part of it, it makes sense of like him, uh, you know, Miyazaki himself looking over literally every piece of paper that everybody draws and being invested in everything that's on that piece of paper. And this is after slash during doing all the storyboards and the writing. It's kind of clear how, you know, they have this giant room for people who all the amazingly talented people, all they do is draw all day long. And then you have, you know, similar armies of people doing all the inking and the photography and everything like that. And he's looking over that. Uh, And so, you know, that's sort of the you know, the showrunner model. Well, one person is sort of in charge of everything. But at that point, my understanding is there is no, like, music. And maybe they've chosen the voice actors, but they haven't even recorded their stuff yet. And mm-hmm. it's very unlike the Disney way. The Disney, you know, the not Golden Age, whatever. Whatever age it is of Disney when they had, like, uh, Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin and all that. Whatever age we're going to call that, The Lion King. Um, that model, and I think probably, I don't know, the, probably Disney model for all time was you would record the actors mm-hmm. first. You get Robin Williams in the booth doing the genie. Yes. He does the genie. They read the script. Nothing has been drawn yet. And then you draw to what Robin Williams said, which is not how Miyazaki works. Yeah. A show like Bob's Burgers, I think, I, um, in particular, I think I'm pretty sure they're almost all in the studio together, or at least when they're doing scenes with somebody, which is pretty rare, I think, these days for like a, you know network TV show without the hugest budget. But, um, I mean, it really feels like it. The, just the, everything that Gene Belcher says in um, Bob's Burgers, it feels like something that just occurred to him. Uh, I just sent you something. I'm sure you've seen me share this before, but I find this so amazing. I just sent you a um, link or uh, an image. Uh, I think it went through. Um, mm-hmm. To illustrate the importance of inking in comic books. And so what you're looking at here is exactly the same pencil drawing 
inked by four different people. So that's the, it started out as the same drawing. And then it's just a question of how each of those four dudes chose to ink that. Isn't that wild? Yep. Yeah, I was, I was thinking about this. I was, because I just started watching the, uh, the Netflix. Anyway, there's a TV version of Lock and Key. Uh, oh, yeah. Only, I just slipped that on the other night. Yeah. The only comic book series I have ever read in its entirety. It's pretty good. And I uh, went back to the comics because I was annoyed by how the show was changing a bunch of stuff, but I wasn't sure I remember the comics accurately. I went back through them. I've got them digitally and I was flipping through them. And I was appreciating exactly this, like the inking and how yes. how much of an influence it had over the look of the art like it was it was especially coming out watching television which you know there is an art to it but it, like animation is things are so much more exaggerated and you know, like i said can be emphasized in different ways and going back to the the comic book, like oh yeah this is what the comic book was like mm-hmm. it's very more stylized than in in my mind's eye maybe from watching the television show i'm like oh the comic book was more or less realistic drawings of people and you go back and i was like no it was very i i, I flipped the tv show on because i i read the first two volumes i think and enjoyed it years ago but anyhow um i popped it up and started watching and i was like eh, kind of feels like a tv movie didn't feel very the credits the opening credits were cool but the show itself wasn't great yeah yeah I don't, i'm not sure they've captured what i liked some because i re, i really love the comic i mean that's the reason i read the whole thing i'm not a fan of comics as a, as a mm-hmm. medium but i read that whole thing because it is you know and this sounds terrible because it's written by Stephen king some but it's it is very much Stephen King and I love Stephen King. Mm, like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, is, no question. This is like a great, you know, this is right up my alley. And the fact that it was a comic, you know, and it helped that I also liked the artwork. Like it was, mm-hmm. it was artfully done. Like it, I've seen some comic books where, like, even if I really like the story, the art is a turn off. I'm sure you've experienced that as well. But Lock and Key, I enjoyed the artwork. The artistry of the artwork was very nice, and the story was straight up Stephen King. So I really loved that. I was hoping for the television show to capture what i felt reading the comic thus far it hasn't it's just kind of glanced off it but it it has the advantage that because i love the comic so much that any glimpse of that in a television show is like a little tingle and so i'm i'm keep i'm still watching yeah a uh, last thing on this uh at least from me um so i you know I, I didn't i was not actively seeking out comic books to read like you know on anything like a regular basis um the last time i did that i was probably in sixth grade maybe seventh grade um so you know uh early 80s um and i think one reason i didn't find myself very attracted to it is the style that was very popular it's a style in the mid 80s that i really liked people like paul smith doing x-men but just looking at x-men in particular the kind of x-men style that we get in the early 90s when i think this is still true that uncanny x-men number one the reboot of x-men um, I think it's still the single largest selling single issue of a comic ever. And so, but there's this style that people like Jim Lee made really popular. And then Jim Lee went to image comics later. But, but what I think of, in my head, what I think of as the Jim Lee style is just this like, ugh, this horrible nineties look with all this weird hatch work. Everything's hatched like within an inch of its life. And the, and the ink is, it's all just so weird. And I go like, Bleh. I think I don't like Jim Lee. Then flash forward forward years later, and uh, Dan got me into Jim Lee's uh, Batman comics, which are extremely good. And then I went out and sought out, because now I was into comics again, and I went out and sought out, like, what does Jim Lee's actual pencil work look like? And it's glorious. It's always been gorgeous. But I feel like I'm, I'm almost stealing something from your book here where you talk about fashion. 
Okay, you know, like when we talked about, uh, we t- you and I have talked, I think, online and definitely offline about which of the Lucas Star Wars movies suffers the most and the least from the special editions. And I feel like you're feeling, you like you said that you thought, you know, episode four, New Hope, original Star Wars, was the most beaten up, whereas Empire Strikes Back was mo- le- much less scathed, correct? Mm-hmm. Right? So why is that? Like, what changed? Well, you know, part of it is, I, I almost like, use that phrase you use, fashion. And I, I go and look at um, 90s Jim Lee, quote-unquote Jim Lee comics, and it's the bad fashion. It's the, what I, what, it's not that he's a bad penciler, he's fantastic. It's that I don't like the fashionable style of inking and coloring in the 90s. And like, and like, even now today, they're doing the worst thing, where they're recoloring a ton of old, especially like DC and, and Marvel comics, and they're using this awful, I, I, God, I sound like somebody that Joe and Todd would hate, but like where they've just mangled this with this, this computer coloring that they've done that's just so awful. But then on the other hand, I look at something like Hawkeye, which is arguably maybe my all-time favorite co- comic, um, the Matt Fraction, David Aha um, Hawkeye. And I look at that Hawkeye and it's like, I love every single bit of every frame of this. I love the lines. I love the ink. And I super love the coloring that uh, what's his head did. Um, it's just so wild, but like you know, it, it is so strange to strip all those layers away and just look at pencils. And classic pencils are always classic pencils. I mean, yeah, still there's going to be thatching and weird stuff and you know, whatever. But I don't know. It's just wild. And and so it's. I do feel like. Why am I telling you this? I do feel like realizing things like this is instructional. Whether you're saying I don't like Jim Lee's comics, or whether you're saying. Uh, visual effects are ruining movies or whether you're saying, you know, nobody at Apple understands how to make a keyboard. It's, you know, I, I, I am as guilty as anybody and maybe more so of some of those things, but I, I do think it's smart to catch yourself being overbroad about something like that, where it's like, now I feel like kind of a, a jerk. Like Jim Lee is actually really amazing and I love his Batman. And maybe I just didn't like the style at the time of, of those things. And, you know, David Fincher, a lot of VFX. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, that's getting back to what we were talking about. How like it's kind of weird slash a shame that like the person who does the pencils that their style can be redirected or outright thwarted. Like especially when you think of something like Hawkeye, which I've read a little bit of, and it it seems like, and maybe this is not the case, but it seems like that the vision for the art uh, came straight through. Like I would be surprised if the pencils for that didn't look. Uh, with the expectation that they would be inked in that way because it's such a stylized you know well i guess they all are but like it is it is an unconventional no it no it's very it's very unusual and in fact if you get the trade in one of the trades either the first one or the second one if you flip to the back you get to see what a page instead of seeing the pencils it's the opposite of that you see just literally just the cells of color without Mm -hmm. any brushes or pencils and you're absolutely right it's like looking at a palette it's 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 like you know just careful little paint chips that are all in these complementary color schemes. It's amazing. Yeah. I, I like the style of that one, although I yeah. didn't read the whole series. Yeah. And that one's also just the composition of each one of those shots is so iconic. And like, you know, Matt Fraction has so many very good, like very memorable, all coffee, you know, all these lines that everybody knows now, tears and rain, lucky, like all, all those things. But like they, the reason those lines land like they do is what preceded them, and then they're usually they're often in like a a wide, 
um, not very tall, like kind of one of those, okay, this is a conclusion to this part of the story kind of look. You know, Clint's trying to figure out how to put his TiVo together, you know, and Iron Man has to help him out. And it's just, it's the culmination of all of those things and the mood feeling exactly right. Mm. It's a bummer that Ryan Reynolds can't be Hawkeye. He would be such a perfect <laughs> Hawkeye. Yeah, I don't know if he's sad enough. Oh, well, yeah, but like Renner? Ugh. No, I mean, that's obviously wrong. Because like, I bet, I mean, are we, wait, so is he canceled? Are we mad at Renner at this point? Did uh, he do something? He, he had he a something weird jerky. app, but it seemed kind yeah, of Yeah, 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 but there was something else. There was the Amazon uh, store, but yeah. Anyway, I'm just saying, Ryan up. Reynolds, you know he could do such a good Hawkeye. I think he needs to get older and sadder first. Well, for he's already Deadpool and he was Green Lantern, so we don't want to push our luck here. Yeah. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you by Burrow. You can learn more about Burrow right now by visiting burrow.com slash diffs. Even though New Year's resolution season is gratefully over, there's still loads to be excited about. It's a new decade. Uh, you know, probably get some uh, exciting new tech this year. Uh, me, uh, I'm excited about just being here. Uh, you know, uh, there's a new uh, season of Survivor. It's pretty exciting. But uh, yeah, yeah, I'm just happy to be included. Anyway, with all this newness in the air, why not make a change that everyone can get behind by replacing your old, worn sofa with a brand new Burrow sofa. Burrow sofas, totally customizable. You pick your fabric, color, leg finish, armrest style, and length. You can even add a chaise lounge or an ottoman or both. You can do all of these things. This is the crazy part. The Burrow even has built-in USB chargers. So convenient. You can charge right from the couch. Uh, and right now they have a uh, free one week shipping. Mm, not too shabby. You can set up a burrow sofa in just minutes. They're easy to move. You can add or remove seats as needed. And uh, a burrow uh, do more than just sofas. Uh, the Genius Sleep Kit transforms your comfy sofa into an even comfier bed. And they now offer a collection of affordable rugs, coffee tables, and love seats. Uh, it says here personal experience required. Well, that's easy because I bought a burrow before they were even a sponsor. I didn't use a code or nothing. I just paid for it with money. It comes in boxes and pieces. You, you bring it up, you put it together. It's real easy. We love our Burrow sofa. And further to my personal experience required, guess what? I got an anecdote for you. I realized that some of the, the one of the little thumb screws had, had, uh, had come off through one of the holes and I couldn't find it. You know, it's what you use to put the legs on. You know what I did? I emailed Burrow and you know what they did? They don't know that I'm Merlin Mann from the internet. They sent me new ones. Just sent them right to my house in a little envelope. And then I put them in myself. Thanks, Burrow. Pretty dang cool. So listen, right now, you can go and get your own personal experience of a Burrow. You get $75 off your purchase, free one-week shipping. You go to Burrow.com slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S, Burrow.com slash diffs, B-U-R-R-O-W. Have I said it enough? Burrow.com slash diffs, D-I-F-F-S. $75 off. You got to go do this. Thumbscrews, people, get it together. It's a new year. Why not get yourself a new sofa? Burrow.com slash diffs. Our thanks to Burrow for supporting reconcilable differences and all of Relay FM. And we're back to talk about something. Uh, where am I? You watched a chair. Oh, yeah. Did you want to talk about that? Yes, I do. So last week you gave me homework. Uh, does my mic sound okay? Does it sound hollow? Do I sound hollow? Hollow bones? Hollow bones. 
<laughs> now, there's something about like we, we remember. We like, say that all the time in our health. <laughs> Hello, <Bands. laughs> What am I? I'm in a farmer. Okay. The, the gags that the gags that stick so so odd. Um, it sounds sounds fine. My for the longest time, my kid was so obsessed with Kenneth, and like we've started to realize that you know how like every show has a crazy neighbor or like a wacky neighbor. There's also mm-hmm. like there's in shows that we watch, there's also often like uh I don't know, not an agent of chaos, but some kind of a somebody clearly not what they appear to be. Someone who's in a different show. Well, but Kenneth and the fact that he might the be eternal stranger, yeah. and an angel mm-hmm. when he mentions the angel thing. And we sat, we poured over all those YouTube videos about all the evidence that he's immortal and stuff like that. Um, or like Peppermint Butler on Adventure Time, where like more and more you realize, well, Peppermint Butler is really strange. They're like, mm-hmm. oh, so he might actually be like a demon. And why isn't he old, really old or really young at these different times? And uh, oh, that's a good character. That's a good character. Any of those, any of those kinds. Or on, um, I mean, I guess that would be kind of be Dwight, I guess, maybe. On, um, on The Office. Anyway, uh, you gave me homework last week and a little bit of context for the homework. The homework was for me to watch the Netflix show Cheer. And the context you gave me was, and you were very, um, you were somewhat cagey about this, but you said something like it's not so much for like the cheering part, but it sounds like it may be a more technical reason you were intrigued by this show. Well, I just Story, storytelling like, reason. Yeah. How you're going to make a documentary about, you know, cheerleaders. How are you going to approach that? Because there's lots of different ways you can make a documentary. What's what's your angle in terms of making it? Because when you start making it, presumably you don't quite know the full story. You kind of have an idea, but you have to decide how to shoot it. Is there going to be a voiceover? Are we going to concentrate on a single character? Are we going to focus on uh, a big climactic event? Are we going to flash forward and then back? Like, there's lots of different ways you can slice this up. And choosing how to do it, I think, is was, was most the most interesting thing to me because the people in it are the people in it and they're going to do what they're going to do. Uh, and you know, the, the documentary is going to have the influence it's going to have on what they do, but you can kind of tell, even just from episode one going in of like the people who are making this, what do they think they're making Yeah, and how are they choosing to make it and how are they choosing to present these people? And and these kind of shows can be very high stakes. There's a, God, there's there's a wonderful phrase for this or like a cliche that I forget, but it's something like, will you save it in the shot or save it in the edit? Something Mm -hmm. like that. And a show like this, well, there's so many that are like this whether it's about an election or anything where there's an, at the very least, an unknown outcome, but maybe even particularly an unknown outcome that could be more than one of two outcomes. There could be lots of different outcomes. Mm -hmm. And like, how do you make sure you've got something that's usable, even if you don't get any interesting outcomes? Yeah, like the Barclay Marathon uh, one is a lot like that because you don't know how that's going to go down. Are the people you follow going to have a dramatic finish? Are they all going to fizzle out? And then you have to make a different movie depending on how that goes. Luckily, in that that movie, fizzling out is extremely interesting. Right, but I mean, it could have been that everyone just, you know, uh, was sick that day and (laughs) didn't come. How many of these girls are going to get CTEs before (laughs) they meet? Oh, my God. Yeah, and that, that's you the other angle. Kids, this is like you gotta it, wear helmets. <laughs> is, is there any shared responsibility for the filmmakers who are witnessing, you know, anyway, like you saw one episode, but anyway, what do you I think? saw one what, episode. What, I already have a spirit animal. Uh, I'm sorry, that's offensive. I, I already have a person I really relate to. Mm-hmm. Is that, <laughs> you can use Patronus, too. Uh-huh. It's fictional. Okay, all right. I'll, Although I'll do, she's yeah. a turf, so. Mm. Whoa! Huh. Oh. Ooh. Uh... <laughs> the one poor guy. 
the you know the one guy where he seems <laughs> you could be him for Halloween and just have somebody on your shoulders while you shake all the time. There's the one guy who's the catcher. I forget all the terms, but there's that one like kind of hefty guy with the blonde hair. Jerry, <laughs> so exhausted. Are you talking about Jerry? I don't know. If, mm, it's the let's see. So no, it's not one of the featured people. He's one of the like. He's not one of the cool, like, interviewed people. He's over kind of on the left. But there's this one time when Monica? No. What's her name? The what's coach it? lady? Yeah. I think it's Monica, maybe. Anyway, she comes out and she, like, calls, like, hey, hey, stop, stop, stop. Let's talk about what we're doing here. And it's when they're, they're, they're you know, it's, they're working really late. But the one guy, he's so tired from catching ladies on his shoulders. And then she holds her little meeting while there's a woman on his uh, shoulders yeah, and he's just yeah. quivering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel that so hard. So, uh, cheer. Yeah. So I, uh, so what this is, is a multi-part series about based on the one episode I've seen, this is a TV show about a junior college in, uh, t- t- wait, I know this Texas mm-hmm. junior college in Texas that uh, this, at least this uh, movie would have us believe is like the uncontested, like bringer of champions for this, this sort of competitive cheerleading. And just, they, they, they are constantly, constantly reminding us, this is not your mama's cheerleading, and this is not dancing, this is not sideline dancing, this is not pole dancing, this is, this is a sport, 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 it's very important you know it's a sport, yes, we get it, we get it, we get it. Anyway, yes, it's extremely athletic, and this show is about, on the one hand, the dynasty, the dynastical uh, a world of this junior college and their cheer program. It's very much about the woman who leads that program. It's about the town not really even seeming to realize that they have this championship cheer squad there. Um, and it is very heavily about the young people who are doing it, who, at least in terms of who they're profiling so far, um, come from pretty difficult uh, backgrounds, often coming from poverty or abuse or neglect. Um, I think I don't have the greatest gaydar in the world, but I do get the sense that there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of queerness, especially on the guy side. Um, and the, the women, the young women are real scrappy and everybody gets so many injuries that make you go. And so that's what I got. They got, there's a lot on the plate at this point. Yeah, that was just episode one. Now think about that. That's a lot on the plate. Because you could do... The whole show about how the you do the show about the that lady and do ten yep. percent all of you, those other things. You exactly, or you could do the whole show about people getting injured, or you could do the whole show about you could do, you could feature you could do forty percent of the show just be about the the one blonde girl who's on the outs, who's obviously kind of the not the star but the the black horse of this. Or yeah, or how about uh, having a bunch of gay people on a prominent athletic yes. team in Texas? The whole or show just, could be about even that. The, the the black dude who used to be heavier. Like, how much mm-hmm. do you love him? Like, the, he's so charismatic and. So that that's what's fascinating about this is because it's all like also all I got those a new one. I actually did for, get it. it. It's all it, all that thing you could make a whole documentary series about any one of those topics, and so it's fascinating to see how. What, what what do they choose? And I don't remember the the saying that you were trying to remember as well, but like making it in when shooting or in the edit or whatever. But I feel like they could have had enough footage to make six different movies out of this. And and also right away, like there is no uh, voice of the author voiceover. Right. Mm-hmm. So there is no there's there's text, but it's very you know, it's not heavy handed. So 
the POV is done entirely by what they choose to put in the camera. There is no voice explaining to you how you're supposed to feel about any particular topic. And that's definitely a choice, too, because you could, again, take any of the six movies you just described and make each one of those six different, depending on how prominent you make the voice of the people making the movie. Right. But they're always there because they're the ones choosing. Is this going to be about uh, a, uh, a small town coach's ambition? Is this going to be about children from difficult backgrounds and how they find fulfillment in sport? Is this going to be about how uh, this is a weird anomaly where uh, this one school that you've never heard of attracts the best of the best from the entire country in this weird, obscure uh, sport that most people don't know about, but yeah. to them it's their whole world? Like, So anyway, I, that's, I think that's what hooked me is I wanted to see which direction it was going to go. And um, you know, I don't know if you're going to watch the rest of the series, but to spoil it a little bit. No, I, they, I, I do. I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm not champing at the bit to watch it, but I will, but I would, if you want to do a light spoiler, that would be fine. I was going to say that they do choose more or less, like they can't, they don't commit themselves totally to saying this is going to be a hundred percent about how, how difficult it is to have a bunch of gay people on a sports team in Texas. Like they don't commit to any single theme in yeah. that strength. They pick a 75% theme but they allow the other ones to continue to orbit well, it. Cool. And even, they even mix in a few ones later, which in some respects weakens it a little bit, you know, because mm-hmm. if, really, if you're really committed to one theme, you can really hammer on that. But, like, it lets you know that they're trying to paint a more holistic picture. I think it weakens some of, some of the themes that by the time you get to the end, you're like, oh, this whole thing should have been about X or about Y. Or the thing that theme really resonated, me, resonated with me was this other theme. <laughs> and it wasn't the one they put 70% of their effort into. The injuries, the fact that there's just a guy there, I guess he's like a trainer, but a guy there who seems there primarily just to have girls point at their nose so he can decide how bad their concussion is. <laughs> No, it's like I think the, that's the, his the, job. The, He's like concussion the, in the, man. In, in the war movie, you got the medic who's just patching up the, yeah. the you know, meatball the surgery. How I called it. Yeah, there's there. I um, there's a. I mean, to be honest, uh, I found it pretty absorbing. Um, I one thing. Um, I guess I shouldn't be surprised that I liked as much is the. I do think they were a little heavy handed with the whole like, no, I really need you to say out loud that you acknowledge this is a real sport. You know, I'm a dancer, not a whore. You know, that kind of thing. Um, okay, fine. But, but, but that was more than, why am I saying that? Partly because that is more than pulled off by, um, fairly extreme slow motion shots of them just doing what they do and to watch the way that they build a pyramid and, and holding, catching your breath and saying like, oh my God, I hope that, (laughs) I really hope that literally everybody doesn't fall down. Like it's amazing when just one person falls down because they're doing these really, and they do a pretty good job of showing you historically how cheer has changed over. I call it cheer. has changed over mm-hmm. the years, mm-hmm. but you really get that when you get to like what, what you and I could recognize as probably late eighties footage of a football game where it, it's, it's preschool stuff compared to what these kids are doing, where there's so much dynamism. There's and the super slow motion really helps you uh, see how many different things are happening at once and where there is symmetry or where there isn't symmetry. And the fourth person to kick was a little bit late and all this kind of stuff that I never would have found myself looking for an hour earlier. You know what I mean? But I suddenly I'm the expert on cheer and I can watch this and go like, Oh, well, you know, you guys need to take a lunch. You're tired. <laughs> yeah. The, the one thing they do hit on in episode one that I think one of the things that resonated with me, they don't concentrate too much on, but they do hammer in episode one is that there is no, like, all sports, as we've discussed in the past, are, you know, other than being a socially acceptable outlet for xenophobia slash tribalism, are pointless. Like, there's no, you know, 
it, you know, who cares if the ball goes through the hoop? Who cares if you get into the end zone? Like it, it, that's what makes it a game. There are no actual consequences. And so if you're going to be uh, life, uh, get life changing injuries in the pursuit of something. Yeah. It's hard to think that you're going to get life changing injuries in the pursuit of thing that's pointless. But for for the other for the sports most people are more familiar with, it makes perfect sense because if you are the best of the best at basketball, that can be a very lucrative career. You, that can make your entire life and support your entire family, even if you do eventually get catastrophically injured. So the the you know the stuff balances out like that. You are highly mm-hmm. motivated if you turn it's, if it just so happens you are one of the best basketball players in the world, even though basketball itself is pointless. You playing basketball and getting terribly injured mm-hmm. accidentally you're like but but yeah but i made millions of dollars and i'm set for life and i've supported my family like it makes sense whereas they emphasize in the first episode of cheer there is no equivalent of the nba for cheerleading there's nothing for you to do yeah that's that is that was actually yeah, really good you are not going to go on to yeah. a multi-million dollar career with endorsements you know there is no uh upside of this where it's going to make your life yeah. But you may just happen to be the one of the best in the country at this particular thing, which is a very difficult thing to do. You could be like uh, Gab- Gabby. Is that her name? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, where you're like, you're the Nadia Comaneci of, you know. Yeah. For a year or two. But then yeah. once you're done with college, that's it. There is no place else for you to go. This is, this is, there's a, there's a cliche about this that I will certainly massacre. Another cliche I'll massacre, which is something like the way out of this neighborhood is on the mic, on the court, or on the stretcher. Something like Mm -hmm. that. Like, you don't have that many options. And so, like, when you say, not you, but when one says something like, oh, basketball's silly, you know, well, you know, you can also think about the way gambling works, the way that betting works, where pretty much all betting is stupid. (laughs) I mean, really. I mean, it's, you could, there's probably better ways to make money than by gambling a lot. But the, the thing is, I'm trying to pivot to something that's slightly sensible here, but you know, when you bet on something, you're often betting on something that is very silly, but the stakes of that bet are extremely real. Now, is that the best way to make money, especially if you've got money and just want to increase your pile? No, no, no. You could go get a, uh, you could get an index fund, right? But what if you are in that position where you're like, you know what? I know this is a gamble and I am going to take, I'm going to get every penny I can, you know, and put it on, put it on black or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like no matter how silly or how much of a long shot is basketball valuable. Well, I have to make that bet because I don't have that many other avenues. And and even if that's not true for these people, because like the difference with gambling is that these people have, they're more like NBA stars. They have a particular talent they, for doing this specific thing. And, it just, and this specific thing is just as difficult as any other professional sport where people are getting paid millions of dollars because there's professional leagues. And this particular sport also has a huge risk of injury. But balancing out the huge risk of injury is not, oh, and you'll be set for life because you're one of the best in the world. It's like huge risk of injury, glory, which is fleeting, but, you know, like glory that ends when you graduate undergrad high school or college and then possibly life changing injuries but no big upside. So yeah, you could you know gather ye rosebuds being uh, an, an Instagram influencer with your cheerleading medals, but that's not going to last too long no. either. No, like Mm-mm. you like, and so you, that's that's hammered in this first episode and is undercurrent of the whole thing. Here are these people who are really good at a thing, who may not have you know who who came to this place because it is the 
the, the best one of the best places in the country to go if you're really good at this one thing. Get some kind of an education. Potentially have <laughs> life-changing injuries. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, your prize is you get a degree from a two-year college and you get to yeah, go out and you're, get a job. You're, you're, exactly. Yeah. You don't even get the to say that you went to Penn State or something. Yeah. And that and that's it. And just, yeah. if you get out and you there's there's the glory angle and everything, but like that's the whole thing. Like, so the, I look at this and it's like, you, you think for these kids, you're like, well, these kids have to do this because they're just so good at it. Why wouldn't you have to like the pursuit of like excellence and glory for its own sake? Mm-hmm. But then on the other hand, you're like, you know, and again, spoilers for us, the thing, the themes of the whole show. Is this system that they are in, <laughs> that they are consumed in, they're mm-hmm. like, like, is the system serving them? Who is the system serving? Uh, mm-hmm. Is there any kind of glory or income? Well, David, David, David Simon, who's the guy from The Wire, like w- the system that you're beholden to. Like every, everybody's behold, everybody is, that's his whole point is that of the wire is that everybody has to, has to get with some system and that eventually that system will find a way to corrupt them. Yeah. And, and who's, and who's benefiting from the system? Is it the students who are benefiting? We just kind of said that once they get through this best case, they get through it and they're not injured and had some glory. Like best case, you become that one guy or that other guy who now works for yeah, well, that's team. not even best, though, because uh, the head coach is the permanent fixture, and she does not graduate after two years. Right. She has ongoing fame and glory and potentially riches. And the bar constantly being raised by and herself. It right. But she needs constant fresh meat to go into her machine. Oh, and boy. how much does she... Yeah. Ugh. No, so, anyway. no, no, I, I'm, I, I, um, I am with you. It's, um, we spend... This is off the dome. We spend so much of a young person's life filling their head with ideas about what to fear. And um, that's, if you really think about it, that's, you you know, I I don't want to be too reductive, but that's what a lot of stuff comes down to is like, there are things in the world that you should be afraid of. And there, and even if you don't understand them, and there are other things in the world that you should be ashamed of, even if you don't understand them. And I'm not here to say that that gets passed down as some official way to manipulate people, but I don't think we've historically been that great at raising people up to ask the right questions at the right time, because that's not how it works. You know, you want, you want, uh, if you've got a classroom full of 60 kids, you know, you could do with as few John McCain's as possible, whatever. So insert your favorite maverick. But then what happens now you're 17, 18 years old. Like you could, you could potentially, you know, get a credit card, you can get a driver's license, but like, what's the plan for you? Like, especially if you're from one of these communities, that's like so many communities in America where like the, they've never seen an up economy in this town. There are huge, huge, uh, drug and different substance issues going on. And let's say you've even got like, you've done real good and you've got an A minus average and you're really like, what's your plan for three years from now? You're going to join the army. And you might not even be from there. Like a lot of these kids are from out of state, right? So they're coming from even worse yes. places. I get into that yes. later. And it's like, I'm going off to the to the big city to go to school. And you end up going to this place that is not a really happening place. And you are the most happening thing in it. And the town doesn't even care about you. And then when you're done, you're going to go back to your yeah. home where things are even worse. Just go somewhere and gain weight until you die. Go. You know? And it's it's just that, um, I don't know, I'm sure where exactly where I'm going with this, but it's certainly something I struggle with uh, in my own life and in the life of my family, you know, is the right balance of all of the things, the right tempering of all the ingredients. So you get a good bake of a human. 
Um, and there has to be some way to, you know, understand the skills for getting through hardship and how to open a jar and all that stuff. But like, put another way, if you're in the middle of a very serious high stakes negotiation with someone, just about the last thing that other person's going to do is say, you know, hey, listen, don't worry. You know, you're good. Let's, let's just work something out. And we'll, blah, blah, blah. That's not how it works. You press and press and press until you can crush the person. And the children that you end up raising in some communities and just in some contexts, in some eras, are kids who are not only discouraged from asking a lot of difficult questions, they're not only, they're not supposed to see themselves as somebody who's going to get a lucky break, or they're not supposed to see themselves as somebody who is capable of doing something risky, you know? Um, and so, but then we also can expect them to be able to run their life and like be responsible and like, oh, you know, you're killing all these industries because you, you know, eat avocados or whatever. We ask so much of these people and don't give them, don't always give them the ammunition to say, you know what, you're not allowed to treat me like life. And also like, and as you'll see, if you keep watching this thing there, I mean, and you see it in episode one, uh, these kids are being sold a, like a vision. That was the other thing I left out, the other tension of all the, <laughs> ready for topic number nine? Topic number nine, in this town, they have a crazy dual role. Um, their huge national acclaim has come from um, doing these very, very, as we're reminded, athletic meets, right? But what's happening back home? Back home, they're being let out, leased out <laughs> to the city to go do dog and pony shows to try and raise money for the city. So they're supposed to do sexy, sexy cheerleader dancing for the locals who don't know that they are the Chicago Bulls of cheerleading. And so, you know, they show up and clap along and suck on their starlight mints. And they have to they have to cheer on the football team, which is maybe think of Friday Night Lights. Like the, the whole team really cares about their stinky football team because that's the real sport. And they're on the sidelines going, go team. Mm hmm. Mm. Buddy Garrity. Yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot to the show. You feel um, me on this, though? Like, and I, I don't I'm keeping this deliberately somewhat general. But what I'm just saying that, like, when you watch something like this or you watch Hoop Dreams or you watch, there's so many million things in documentaries you watch and you're like, oh, you know, man, I really did have so many lucky breaks and so much um, privilege in the sense of, like, it has always, it's always occurred to me, for example, that I could call the police if I need to. My entire life, I walked around knowing I could always call the police and I would never have a problem. There's a lot of people who can't do that, right? And you are raised to believe that maybe even don't go swimming. Because, you know, if, if you've got to go to the hospital, that's going to be expensive for us. You get kids in that precarious feeling. You get them filled with all that, that fear and shame. And they'll, they'll, they will become their own panopticon. And just to avoid anything that could become a problem in their life that takes over, they'll make some pretty uncanny bargains. And in this case, why wouldn't you? What else? I had to quote Donald Trump. <laughs> what do you have to lose? I guess. But you you do get that theater slash band slash sport experience, right? But you don't get the same acclaim of like a Tim Riggins, for sure. But they are. But they are. They're sold the vision of how this could be the best thing in your life. It will be the best thing in your life because we are a family here. Yeah. What's your, what's your you, second best? What's your second best option? And, and you are supported, and you are now a member of a group, and it's going to be hard. And, you know, you could get catastrophically injured in a terrible way. Uh, and we're going to ask a lot of you. Uh, but in the end, we all support each other and you belong here and we're giving you something you've never had before and so on and so forth. But still, as the, the filmmakers seem to be leaning on, at least especially in episode one, 
that that's all well and good, but that for the students that ends. But yeah. for some people, it doesn't end. For Monica, how, for Monica, that's you know, she get to she got to God bless her. She got to choose the stressful life that she's living. I bet she could probably do other things. And and her chance of catastrophic catastrophic injury is very low. <laughs> oh, unless she drops her iPad on her foot. She doesn't have a lot Loves of the downside with that iPad. <sighs> yeah, the husband. You should keep watching along enough just to get more glimpses oh, well. of Monica's husband. He's he's Yeah, they seem like an interesting couple. Yeah. Um yep, yep, yep. So, well, you can pick. We we could we could keep it short tonight, get some rest. You pick. We could talk about voice in the head. We could talk about min- window management, or we could just uh, bounce. Uh, I do want to talk about the voice in the head stuff. This was inspired by your recent episode of Roderick on the Line, where John brought it up all on his own. Um, and it had, it had been the, the uh, aphantasia has been a, a topic on Hello Internet for the past couple of months. And it, it goes around the internet every, every couple of years because it's an interesting topic. It just seems to be making another cycle right now. So too funny, just to, just to uh, recap here, there's two, uh, another one of those classic two wackadoo things with Roderick. I can't decide which one of these I think is stranger. Out of nowhere, John brings up this idea that, that uh, I guess he talked about this on Twitter, but that some people, some people do not, cannot or do not identify a quote unquote voice in their head. And other people sort of can't imagine not, I guess. But John's very much in the camp of can't imagine not, but it just seems so the second part that's funny to me was how much he couldn't believe or even envision that somebody else didn't have it or didn't have it the same way. Yeah. It was, it seems so definitional to him that that's but being human is having a voice in your head. This, uh, along with a Fantasia, which is the inability to picture things in your head. And then there's the voice in your head. And there's also the thing that also goes around once in a while, which is when you're reading to yourself, like if you're looking at text and reading it, like you're reading a book, do you hear a voice in your head when you're reading? Mm-hmm. Um, all three of those things are the type of things that are like, oh, I hadn't ever really thought about that. But then when you press on it, you'll find people with very differing experiences of them, or at least very differing reported mm-hmm. experiences of them. And then, you, you know, you got into this in the show. This went over, just, just this morning, this went around. There's that I didn't look at it, but some meme about what do you see when you imagine an apple? Mm-hmm. That's, that's, the, that's the aphantasia one to try to figure out. Can you picture anything in your head? Is it just oh. black or mm-hmm. do you see like... Do you see like a, a cartoon of an apple or do you see like a real apple? Right. Right. And and the voice in your head and hearing voice when you listen, uh, when you read rather, are like the, the fact that there are people at the extremes, uh, you know, surprises people at the, you know, at the sort of expected extreme. Like, really? You don't you don't hear anything? Mm-hmm. Um, and I I get a, a little bit of that because and I'll ask you about this. I, this this is the issue that you talked about on the show, which is like uh, that John kept bringing up, which is like uh well, maybe people mostly experience the same thing, but they articulate it differently. So it seems like the disagreement, but really it's very difficult to describe what goes on in your head. And so really it's just a difference of reporting when really our brains are all working the same way under the covers. I mean, if you heard an actual, if you heard a literal voice in your head, you have schizophrenia. Yeah, well, mean, no, what I'm trying to say is, and this is why, well, I'm glad you said that. I, you know, with John, I don't like to ever press anything too hard, but I don't know another way to put that other than that. How could we, we don't have any way to measure I don't think, well, maybe you can put your head in a machine, but I think it's difficult to, to compare our consciousness, our experience of consciousness with each other in a way that isn't extremely generous in terms of te- terminology and sort of forgiveness for conceptual oddness. Yeah. I mean, just to just say there's a voice in your head doesn't make sense. A voice in your head is a, 
not a metaphor, but it's 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 an illustrative image. There's not a literal voice in your head, is there? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, that's that's the 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 thing about this is you can sweep it all under the carpet of do I see in the same green as you green as you see or whatever like that that old trope, right? Because you can say th- that even though it seems like a thing that we find surprising that there are these differing experiences, that what you're really just being surprised about is how we're able to articulate what is essentially inarticulatable. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, right. But uh, but I don't I don't really subscribe to that because I I feel like there should be enough common vocabulary to have discussion about it and here's here's my one thing that i have grappled with ever since learning of its existence like six years ago or something uh and it's the reading one surprisingly uh and mm-hmm. this was i forget when the co- topic came up or some some mixed group of friends are discussing like if you're looking at text and you're reading it how does reading work? Do you hear a voice in your head? Like, you know, if I'm if I'm reading some text off the, the show notes or whatever, I read a voice in your head. I just read that. If I read it without, like, out loud, just read it in my head, do you hear that same voice saying voice in your head, in your head, or do you not hear anything at all? Uh, you, and, ever, you ever been reading something and then you realize you don't know anything you've read for the last page? That's the opposite. Right. Well, so when you say like, can you, can you hear, I, I think it's when you stop noticing the letters and words is when now some, something else has captured your attention and now the flashlight is pointed at that and you can't see outside the range. But, of but, he, but here's the thing I, I've heard people report and I have no reason to disbelieve that this is what they think is happening that they read text written, written the written word without hearing. Any anybody saying anything in their head? I don't have any problem at all believing that. I have a problem because I don't understand how it could possibly work. Like my my experience of reading is that is reading, and the absence of that is the absence of everything. Like, how does the meaning from the words get into your head if you are not essentially hearing them in a virtual world inside your head that I, I, I can't I, i'm sorry i know this is not your point but you're killing me you guys are everybody's killing me as a group you're all killing me with all of these you're you're we're all we're blatantly speaking in if not analogies like i say illustrative examples because you're not there is not a voice you're not actually hearing you're not and you're not and when you say like oh i you know i when you can you visualize this well, yes, you can visualize that, but that doesn't mean you see it. That's how you yeah, say, that's right, how you right. describe but it's, but it's visualizing like, it's, something. But It's like a computer per I mean, I'm obviously... Unless you're hallucinating, a, you're not yeah, actually seeing I, it. I, I, I'm visualizing it as a you know, computer program, but it's like... It, so, I don't know if the, the simulator or uh, virtual machine thing helps here at all or hurts. But anyway, uh, the idea is that, kind of like when you're dreaming, that there are neural pathways that fire when you hear things, and that when you read in your head... No, there's no actual sound bouncing off your eardrums. But what you're doing is activating all the same yes. neural pathways mm-hmm. sure. that, that would react to sound if it was coming. And so you, quote unquote, hear a sound in your head and you process it the same way you would process it if it was air pressure bouncing against your eardrum. Because mm-hmm. that's literally the only way you can process speech is you have to hear it. Yeah, yeah. It's like the thing where you can stick a probe in somebody's brain and they, they smell ham. There's not really ham there, but the, the ham smelling part is activated. Same thing with visualizing that you're mm-hmm. not at, you can do it with your eyes closed. There's no actual light bouncing off your retina, but you activate those same pathways inside your brain because that is the only way you have to see things 
is those visual pathways, even if they aren't activated by outside stimuli, the same way when you're dreaming, mm-hmm. you can feel things, hear things and see things, but you're, you know, your eyes are closed and you're not mm-hmm. doing those things. All right. And the All same right. way that like the whole like sending signals to your muscles that they don't respond to because of dream paralysis, because that's literally the only way you can think about moving your arm is to have your brain tell your arm to move. And the fact that your arm didn't move doesn't mean that you're not, you know, firing all those same pathways. So for the reading, the idea that you can look at text and absorb its meaning without hearing someone say the words in your head does not compute for me. Mm-hmm. And ever since I heard that that's what people do, people who can read very fast, it makes sense because you can only talk at a certain speed. So if you are gated by how fast you can hear someone speaking in your head, mm-hmm. I can read silently way faster than I can read out loud because you can't move your lips that fast. But there is a limit. Whereas people who can speed read, that's not their experience. They don't hear the Micro Machines man talking very, very fast in their head. (laughs) They just look at a page full of text and absorb its meaning through some process that is totally alien to me. There's, there's, that's a, that's chunking. That's super chunking. And and I'm like, okay, well, maybe like there's a heuristic and you could kind of absorb it, but it's not quite the same thing. And like, I just don't like even just... I try to do it with like, you know, a C-spot run, you know, like a Dick and Jane type book. Can can I read that? Well, yeah. And like and asking yourself, like, is there just is there something uh, that I've done to govern myself that if I could just lift that veil, I would have that same ability to slurp down unlimited words? Yeah. Or it's like training wheels. Like, oh, the only way you can let words into your brain is you have to fire these path, same pathways that, that happen when you hear things because you yeah. literally can't absorb it. And that's all you ever learned how to do. And there are other pathways to get words into your head and you just have, you're just not exercising them. You just always do the simulated way where you're like, make pretend sound in your head, listen to the pretend sound in your head, let it go through the same pathway it normally goes through. And now you understand, you know, see spot run. Can you read see spot run without hearing the word see spot run in your head? And I can't. Like, I can't, that's, you know, and speaking of hearing these in your head, so this is, I mean, this ailment you'll be totally familiar with. um, Is it about being old? Yeah, you'll see. Uh, All all people have, I think most people have it to some degree, but you have it uh, to a high degree, and I think I also have a modified version of it. When you were talking about this with John Roderick, at some point, uh, John or somebody said something about somebody like, you know, like, uh, Susie is a friend, and she was telling me about blah, 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 whatever, and because my brain is like yours in this way because he said whatever Susie is a friend what i heard in my head was jesse is a friend Mm -hmm. and for the rest of that podcast Mm -hmm. while i listen to the podcast which is actually sound bouncing off my eardrums every three and a half seconds in the background i heard jesse is a friend because now it's in there. You know she is a good friend of mine. Like, All right, you may be winning me over a little bit. Yes. And, it would, and that was involuntary. I couldn't make that go away, but it was like literally every three to five seconds it would start that chorus or start that verse and junka, go after lines. Junka, 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 yep, junka. Yep, yep, and yep. that's just there, right? And there is no way to stop that. And there are other other things going on in my head where I'm thinking about the fact that on the next podcast that I'm going to have with you, I'm going to tell you about what's happening right now. And I'm hearing myself think about what I'm going to tell you oh, while I'm no. also hearing <laughs> the verse of Jesse. All the way down. <laughs> while I'm also hearing the verse of Jesse, while I'm also <laughs> actively <laughs> listening to you on a podcast talk about this topic. Oh, no, I hate this. Oh, stop. And it can go on for levels and levels and levels. Somebody give me the kick. Just <laughs> and, according Biden's got to give me the kick. And you know, like, like uh, when you get a snippet of a song in your head, yeah. like, the, oh, you just oh, have John, to let you it know, run You its know, course. this is one of our secret weird things in the house is that there are, I couldn't even begin to catalog all of these that there are. 
and and it's just i mean like so so a very recent one and an old one a very recent one um uh my uh my kid my wife took my kid and her friend to the mall and then his mom came up and we visited for a while and at one point she said she said something she said wow and I wouldn't, well, hang on, right? And I would not find out until later that two of the three members of my household, we had to catch ourselves from going, mm-hmm. wow, at a time that went just once. That was not appropriate at all. I don't have any control over that. It's in like my, I don't know, my limbic system is stimulated. But then another one, this is a little more obscure, but like, there's just, we have thousands of these. There's one where it's like, oh, uh, where's the coffee grinder? And the other person goes, grinder, looking for meat, and like sings a Judas Priest song. We both do it. If the word grind is mentioned, we'll both go, grinder. It's an affliction. Well, no, it is. It has to get out. No, here's the problem. It's basically like an airbag. It's, a, it's an emotional memory airbag. The only way that it can deflate is to give up and just sing the thing. I mean, then, sometimes the bag goes back down. <laughs> but, but I mean, I, I think we've talked about this on, on an earlier podcast that I had the like the first five notes of uh, Radiohead's "Everything in Its Right Place" in my head for like six months. Yeah. Yep. 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 All mm-hmm. right. And so, and with just the general soundtrack when you're walking around, hearing songs in the background, whether it is a a you know a verse or a chorus repeating over and over again, that can go on for hours, and it, it doesn't like distract me from what I'm doing. It's as if you had the radio on in the house, but like. I can I can support like eight of those in my head at once. I can support me thinking about, and this is the voice in your head, me thinking about what I'm going to do next or whatever. You know, me asking myself questions like the John Roderick style. Me actively listening to a podcast. Yes. Me hearing music in the background of like That's some when you're song be most vulnerable. snippet. Yeah. And and then me also thinking about oh, how I'm going to discuss what I'm thinking about on my next podcast. Like this is all happening all at the same time. And it seems perfectly natural. So it's not just one voice going on. There's like seventeen sound mm-hmm. things and that's how it all gets into my head it's already it's all in my head like some of it's coming from the outside like the podcast or whatever but like anyway that's all this to get back to the reading thing which is the idea of information uh you know text word information not passing through the audio pathway is so foreign and not only that that I, it's like music and other things also go through that pathway and they're triggered by things that i hear quote unquote hear that i don't actually hear it's yeah. Anyway, it's 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 busy in there is what I'm saying. Oh, so hell the, yeah. So the, so the idea that, you know, John was talking to some friends who say, like, they don't hear anything in their head. I can believe that more easily because you can't quiet your mind. Like, that's a thing that you can do. And maybe just people are have a naturally quiet mind and there doesn't need to be any talking. Uh, that is easier for me to fathom than somebody, quote unquote, reading without hearing someone reading in their head. You didn't. And so when John talked about this, when I'm talking about this here, I'm, I'm picking on my pet thing or whatever. But I do want to do a quick survey of your uh your status on each one of these things aphantasia can you visualize things voice in the head uh and uh hearing a voice when you read stuff okay ready yep and she's loving him with that body i just know it <laughs> and he's holding on in his arm late late at night pretty good that's the thing i can't i can't carry i can't carry tune in real life but in my head i can in my head in my head it sounds just like it does off the radio it's perfect it's absolutely perfect because i'm not singing it in my head i'm literally hearing Mm -hmm. jason's girl okay um so uh let's let's do this and wrap it up it's getting late give me give me my test 
Oh, you got to tell me where you found these. So aphantasia. Aphantasia is uh, if I ask you to picture an apple in your head, what do you see? Do you see nothing? Do you see a perfectly photorealistic apple? Do you see a cartoon of an apple? Uh, I'm so hung up on these verbs and I'm so sorry. I don't know if I see it. I imagine I can't print it out. Like I, I, you know, when I, here's, here's a good way to test. Um, and I, I mean, I, I think I this. can, I think I can want to, like, if you said to me like green Pontiac, yes, I can see the green Pontiac. I can visualize right. the green. Right. Pontiac. So, but when you visualize that, so uh, let's, let's do, let's do the, uh, the green Pontiac, right? Yes. Just, you don't have to close your eyes or whatever. What, what kind of Pontiac are we talking about? Do I like a Trans Am? It's a green uh, Pontiac Catalina parked at my grandparents' house on Boomer Road, uh, probably in the fall. All right. What's the license plate? 1111 CA. Well, did you just have that memorized or did you just look into the picture? Oh, I had it memorized. Yeah, that's not a good... Maybe My maybe mom was two, 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 how, many, how many spokes are there on the wheels? No idea. Don't know if they're spoked. Just they're look probably... at them in your head. Look at the picture in your head and just uh, count uh, the spokes. I'd be making it up. It's a drawing. Yeah, do you it's a drawing. See, do you I'm looking see... at a drawing over here. So that's go ahead. not a real so car. Go ahead and make it it's up, not a real car. You, you can't see... fit a car in my head. <laughs> I know, but but so, do you see the... Look at the wheels in your head right now. Just look at them. Well, they go round and round. Yeah. See, this, uh, see you would, now, now that's the problem though, because then, see, like if this was 1982, I would do that. But now the internet's going to go. Well, actually, the tear weight on the Pontiac Catalina—they don't have to be the correct wheels. It's just that the, the picture that you have conjured in your head does mm. it have enough detail that you can choose to look at a certain portion. I mean, of that's it. like asking me if a naked lady has braces. You know, I'm I'm not mm, over here. Yeah. Anyway, the the people who are at the extreme end of that scale can picture can, can it, it like Meredith it's Gray? like. It's like photographic memory, but like, imagine if you had photographic memory, yes. but you could. I have that. I have that. I still have photographic memory. For sure. <laughs> well, if you how did, you, know? you could. You, how do you remember? <laughs> no, if you did, you could, uh, you could tell me how no, many no, spokes no, are No, 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 no. The way I, the way I used to very super clearly have it that's been repeated by test many, many times in the past is I would remember roughly where in a book I read something on what part of the page it was. Yeah, but everybody has that. That's not photographic okay. memory. Um, thank you. <laughs> and then, and then the, the other, the other one is, as you know, John. Shame on you. As you know, I know where the things are. And if I don't know where the things are, I know how to find the things. But I can very frequently at least do, and this goes back to, again, secret weird things. I let the house speak to me. The house tells me where things are if I, if I open myself enough. But uh, different levels. There's definitely the level of, I don't know if it's exactly memory. I don't know if it's exactly photographic. I don't know if it's just my amazing logical skills. But my kid will be like, you know, where's X? And of course, where X equals whatever the hell thing only she ever has touched. And I could frequently say, um, black table, black table on the left by the back. I don't think that's photographic memory. My, okay, my, thank you, thank you, thank you twice. Cons- thank you twice. I, I don't can have photographic also, memory, so I, can I can't say. I do so many things. Go ahead. I have more, but go ahead. Um, no, I but, know things. I know things, and I will remember. <laughs> You're uh, smart. Not like people not say. Not like people say. And I got stepped over. <laughs> <laughs> what I, here's how i picture photograph i picture photograph memory kind of like what i was describing to you which is like you can, you can visualize um, it yeah so if i if i ask you what's the fifth word on page 25 of your favorite novel you don't know it off the top of your head but if i but if i put but if i put the book in front of you you could turn to the fifth page and count words and tell me the answer and to you that wouldn't seem very amazing because you gave me the book. I just opened it and, and looked, right? People with photographic memories, my conception of oh, what they're what they're God. describing I is I can't believe you you are such a literalist when it suits you. Right. Well, like what my conception of what people who claim to have photographic memory have is Talk about like, they a, don't like know, Mary Mary Lou Henners. That they don't know that off the top of their head, but they're like, Well, hang on a second. Let mm-hmm. me just go get that book in my head. 
open right. it to the fifth page, look at the picture right, I see in my head, and count five words. Have you ever seen reporting on Mary Lou Henner? Right. So I probably am one of the many, many photographic memory documentaries I saw. Mary Lou Henner is one of the approximately, I believe, I want to say six, but I'm going to say 30, maybe 12, people on the planet with an extremely rare inability to forget anything. She's unable, if she encoded it at the time, she will remember mm-hmm. it forever. And we're not talking like, like parlor tricks. We're not talking uh, toothpicks for Raymond. Like she like legit, like there's a 60 minute Cause segment. She, with her. Cause she can just go look at it again. It, that's what I'm, that's why I'm saying this to you. I'm trying to help mm-hmm. you. Even as you undermine my photographic memory, which has been tested in three States. Mm-hmm. What you described it as just, I don't think it's photographic memory, but, My but like goodness, you, you are, you give so many other people. Why don't you give me the benefit of the doubt? Is it that I don't deserve the benefit? You forget things. You, you couldn't remember what we discussed on the last episode the benefit's of this podcast. Not needed. Was it never encoded? <laughs> yeah, no, it, 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 but the, the photographic part is about the being able to visualize, which is if you can visualize uh, an abstract concept, then you're not visualizing, or, or you're remembering. But I know, but say, but say it's something you've never seen before. Visualize uh, like a dragon, you know, oh, make up your own like dragon. You being your... right, something I've never, ever seen. But yeah, but make up your own <laughs> dragon in your head, not one you've seen in a movie or a comic okay. book or something, Okay, right? bespoke dragon. Right, mm-hmm. right. Um, the, the way I conceptualize the 10 on this scale or whatever is that you can then put a piece of paper in front of you, visualize the dragon you saw in your head on the paper, and then just trace the picture you see. Yeah, no, no, that's a... That's a... Really could not be more extreme interpretation of that, but I, mm-hmm. I hear what you're saying. Right. I mean, that's the extreme end, right? The, uh, is the idea that well, not insane. only can you see that's... it, but that it's so trivial. It's like, well, I'm not good at drawing, but I can trace. And so you just... So you, you believe that you're literally hearing things in your head, but you think photographic memory means that you have a photographic photo memory of everything you've ever seen? Yeah. That's, that's my conception of it anyway. Wow. For, Do you have a dictionary for... where you could look up Lucy Goosey? <laughs> And and so for for Aphantasia though, Christ, John. For, for Aphantasia, the the other extreme of that is if I tell you to picture an apple, you see nothing. It sounds like there's a very popular plumbing company in town called Fantasia, and now there's a new one in town that wants to be in front of them in the phone book. Triple mm-hmm. A Triple A Fantasia. I don't even know if I'm, I'm pronouncing it correctly because the podcast I listen to where where has been coming up a lot recently that one of the hosts pronounces it incorrectly and it's really just printing. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> it's interesting. The uh, mighty black stone. But well, that's a good accent, huh? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, with the fa- with the Fantasia thing, I'm uh-huh. I'm not at the extreme end, but I'm very uh, I'm towards the end where I see things in my head. Now I don't draw by picturing them on the paper and tracing them. That's not how drawing works for me. But I can make it work that way if I want to. I just don't find that the my my preferred way to draw. But I can actually picture on the page a thing and then trace it. Uh, but it's a little bit loosey-goosey like yours is, where if I have to count the spokes in the wheel, I'm like, I've never, that part of the picture is, mm-hmm. like, I can kind of see the wheel, I can tell you what color they are, I can tell you what shape the spokes are, but every time I try to count the spokes, by the time I get around to the other side, I'm like, wait, did I count that one twice? And what am I really seeing? So I'm not a 10 on that thing, but I feel like I'm definitely towards that end of the scale. Mm-hmm. So what end of the scale? You, you, you see a picture in your head for sure, but you're not at the like, oh, it's just like I'm looking at a photo. Can I, can I bubble up one that I have a very strong feeling about, even though it's not exactly what you're talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, well, okay, it is. It's related. But I, I don't know how to articulate this. I, um, somebody actually just sent me a great link about this. I've, I've been, in the last year or so, I've been interested in the interplay between our bodies, uh, signs and symptoms, and our emotions. And I like, you know, so there's people will say like, oh, you got scared. And so your heart started beating fast. 
Well, there are some observations where people are saying, well, sometimes that's true, but another thing can be your heart starts beating fast so you get scared, which then makes your heart beat faster, et cetera, you know. Yeah, post-rationalization of things you're buying. Yeah, 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 I'll buy that. That's good. Yeah. So that I've been, um, I don't know, I've just been interested in that idea and increasingly then sensitive to looking at, you know, is it this or is it that? And so, for example, I have a lot of anxiety. It's like a huge thing for me. But if you ask me to locate the the source of anxiety material, um, it's... I mean, how can I put this? A lot of times I just have a very strong emotion. And then sometimes I'll cast about to find a reason why I have that emotion like anybody would, right? Like so, rational, rationally casting about? Well, in the sense of going like, do I really need to be sitting here feeling this bad when nothing bad is happening? Where is the bad thing happening? Well, the bad thing's happening in my head. Did that arrive as a voice? It did not. Mm-hmm. A voice may come as a result, like you're such an idiot. Or something. When you're discussing, you know, when you're discussing what you're going to do about the feeling you're already feeling with yourself. But the feeling, ha- I, I, I want to say the feeling has precedence. The feeling mm-hmm. will sometimes then make me locate a voice. But, but even with that said, I don't find it difficult for people n- not to f- hear feelings in their head. Like that, that's, that's the thing where you and John are alike in that way is like, it just seems hard for you guys to, yeah, I don't, I, I, I'm, I don't, I think I don't hear a feeling as a voice. It, Cause it, it sounds like you're saying, I don't believe you when you say that. No, it's just hard. Like, it's hard to conceptualize what that must be like. Like I can conceptualize the photographic memory thing. Cause I feel like I'm close to it. Right. I'm tantalizingly close. I just, it's just a little bit fuzzy. So I don't have one. Right. Mm-hmm. But conceptualizing the idea of reading without hearing a voice doesn't make any sense. Now, conceptualizing the idea that a feeling can arrive with no voice makes perfect sense because that's how I experience feelings as well. Like, mm, there, is really? no, okay. there is no declaration mm-hmm. of their arrival. They just exist. Well, and that, then, this is why it's, it's so frustrating when a person finally learns that sometimes just realizing what feeling you're feeling right now will make the bad feeling go away. <laughs> it, yeah. It's, it's not, not always. And, like, you know, things like depression are real, feelings are real. Um, but there are a lot of things where there actually is this one trick the Wall Street fat cats don't want you to know, <laughs> which is that, you know, you always have more of an influence on how you feel right now than you choose to believe most of the time i'm so neurotic that i feel like uh, an increased level of metacognition is not something i need in my life thinking about how i'm thinking about things and how i'm feeling about how i'm thinking about how i'm feeling <laughs> and she's like loving him with that body i just know it <laughs> it's literally just my entire life so i, I don't feel like i i you know I, I can definitely relate to that in the mirror all the time but yeah the, 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 what i have to say that my bias because of this is that when i hear people uh, you know and i never heard this before until john had mentioned it like uh-huh. there are people who say they don't have a voice in their head at all period all i can think about is how massively repressed they must be like because repressed you are able repressed Mm -hmm. that that like that there is a voice that wants to say something but that through through force and training they have repressed it to such a degree that like there's someone in a box in their head screaming and they can't hear it because that box is soundproof And it's terrifying. <laughs> the, the idea that you would, that you would as, soon as, as soon as the music stops and you stop talking, it's always dead silence. Not because you've quieted your mind, because literally that is the only state of the inside of your head. Mm-hmm. It makes me want to run for my life. <laughs> <laughs> because, like, that's not how brains work. Your brain's mm-hmm. doing something in there. Like, again, with the feelings arriving without, you know, it's something is going on. And if you can't hear any of it, mm. you are so out of touch with what the hell is going on inside your own brain that you are terrifying. You're like that little girl on Grey's Anatomy who can't feel pain. 
Yeah, it's not a good oh, situation. What's called w- w- Williams because, or something like that? It's bad. Yeah. yeah I mean, it maybe it maybe you're a, an amazing, you know, person who's able to instantly quiet your mind all the time, but if you never hear mm-hmm. your own voice in your head when you're thinking about anything ever, like like oh, John was no. saying, he, I know, he gets I the, get you. Yeah. He gets the feeling that some people <laughs> the only way that they have any cognition whatsoever is while they're talking about it. It, you know, and, and there is the degree of talking about things that helps you clarify your thoughts, but maybe that's why I'm a thinker out loud. Hmm. hmm. I mean, we, yeah, we all do that. We all think I'm, when we I'm, talk. But that's, but like, I'm yeah. really like that. I mean, like, I'm glad I get paid to do this, but like, I would just do this on my own if nobody else was here. But, but like, the idea that when you're speaking out loud is the first time that mm-hmm. you're discussing this with yourself is mm. is not anything that I can relate to. It's like that's the you know you've already had this conversation with yourself in your head a hundred times before you make your mouth words, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so you you hear the voice in your head, you see vision, you you do not have a fantasia. You can see things, but it's not super duper detailed. But it's I wouldn't not call it photographic either. memory for that. I'd have to be able to recall anything literally yep, down that's to the true. letter. Yeah. Um, uh, I used to think I had that and been tested in three states, but yeah, no. yeah, no, you don't. I've already I'm test I'm testing you in my state. Did you check again? No. Check again. No. Um, <laughs> and then the final final thing is um. When you read text off the page, do you hear a voice in your head saying the words? I think I, I think I do a little bit. I mean, can you? Well, the other chess is like, can you can you read something without it? Go just read. Look at the show notes and try to read a sentence. I'm reading uh, something without, right now. without without hearing anything in your head. No, but I guess are you not. actually reading? Ralph's it? out to prove himself to Alice, his neighborhood, and the world when he becomes a contestant on a hit television game show. Right now, read that again in your head without hearing those same words. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I think you're hearing Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> to the moon. You, can't, you can't get the meaning in without it. My head, dude. This is uh, something I think about so often, and it applies to almost everything in ways I don't completely understand. <clears throat> There's a 1956 Jan- January 28, 1956 episode of The Honeymooners that I saw several times as a child. The episode is called The Ninety Nine Thousand Dollar Answer. And I have such an indelible memory of this episode and how it ends. So I forget how it happened, but Ralph is going to be on, you know, it's, it's basically named that tune. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. But anyway, the idea is they play you a song and then you have to identify the song. And as Mm -hmm. it happens, for whatever reason, Ralph, you know, has a really good knowledge of music, but he does want to practice. So he has Ed, his Norton come over and roll his piano in because Norton's a really good piano player. And he's going to like, he's got a big pile of sheet music and he's going to play little bits Right. And then Ralph Mm -hmm. can rehearse, but they've got to go through dozens and dozens and dozens of songs and Ralph gets really good at it. But, but here's the funny part about this. Norton has this tick where he's a really, really good piano player, but before he plays, can play anything, any melody, any, before he can play anything, he has to play bum, 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 bum. And then he'll go into like Moonlight Sonata or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then okay, good, good, good. Next, go the next one. Next and uh, and of course, it's increasingly. Ralph's very happy that he's doing well with this, but increasingly over time, <laughs> he's getting more and more frustrated that Norton can't just play the damn song. Why do you have? To, why do you have to play that little ditty before? Yeah. So this goes on to great comedic effect. It's a very good episode. Nine point two out of ten on IMDb. Uh, it ends third act as he goes on the show and he's killing it absolutely killing it don't spoil the ending and so i've already got it Keep i know you you've seen the twilight zone he's killing it they finally get to the last one and they play uh stephen foster's uh swanee river and and you know what ralph says 
That's what he says because because he never learned that 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 was the song that that he heard mm-hmm. more than any other song. Mm-hmm. Now I don't. You you can respond if you want. I just want you to think about all the aspects of that and all the levels. And I'm telling you, in that episode of the Honeymooners, there's something for everybody. There's a lot going on in that anecdote. I thought you were going to say there's a little song that you hear before uh, everything that you do. <laughs> I I'm just loving him with that body. I just know it. <laughs> That's the part you're grabbing on. I was I was on the the first line of the song. No, you, you what the words Jesse is a friend. Mm-hmm. I are you sure it's not chunka conka conka. Yeah, well, that's that's the lead in the music. Well, no, but well, listen, quid pro quo, Clarice. Mm -hmm. Which one is it? Do you hear chunka chunka chunka, or do you hear Jesse is a friend? What do you hear? I hear that with the music behind it. Okay, like the Hmm. like just just off the just off the CD, like exactly how how you would hear. And it's because he said somebody was a friend. That's it. That's all it took. And Mm -hmm. um, it's off to the races (laughs) for the next like two and a half hours. Hearing snippets of that you know, song. When, when I hear John uh, John Roderick say that someone is a friend, I uh, I know I'm about to hear the name of somebody uh, who used to be on Basic Cable. Jesse is a friend 